Welcome back to the next Talking Spiritual Podcast. I got a great guest, Brett Hyman from Beverly Hills, California. He owns NVE Experience Agency. Thanks for joining. Hey, yes. Great to meet you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. No, it's awesome. We have a little weather here. We've had our first freeze here in Denver. Um, I'm sure it's pretty nice out there for you. Well, you know, it's a little bit colder than normal. I think it's 71 degrees and sunny instead of 72, but (laughs) we'll get through it if we can here in Beverly Hills. Right? Oh, man. We'd love to learn about your background and, you know, what is Envy Experience Agency and how you started it. Well, I started the agency in a few different incarnations. You know, immediately after graduating college, I had decided to venture into LA's nightlife business, which is, you know, not necessarily what my mother or father wanted to hear, you know, after going to a four-year university. However, it was definitely a great exposure to the hospitality, nightlife, marketing, and promotional world in Los Angeles. And so the first version of NVE was actually called Night Vision Entertainment. And we built a large-scale nightlife company here in LA that developed very big marketing efforts for all the top nightlife companies here in LA, in Vegas, and ultimately expanding to New York and Miami as well. But being in LA's nightlife business is, is the networking superhighway. You meet amazingly uh, connected CEOs and agents and heads of studios. So we really jumped right in from doing that to starting to do premieres and all different types of large-scale production. So phase two of of Night Vision was developing a production arm, and that was all the nuts and bolts of event production, lighting, sound, stage decor, operations, staffing, catering, and everything in between in order to help produce different types of events, uh, such as premieres, private parties, celebrity events, all different types of music launches, video game launches, all the award show events, et cetera, et cetera. And then about five years ago, was when I really shifted from the what to the why. We knew what the product was in terms of event production, uh, but we started to ask, you know, what is the context? What are the goals? What are the objectives that our clients would like us to achieve? And that's when we transformed what was known as Night Vision Entertainment into NVE Experience Agency and layered on a full-blown marketing agency service uh, along with the event production service. And now that's how really NVE operates as these two somewhat distinct businesses, an experiential marketing agency and an event production company, uh, merge and fuse together into one holistic brand influence agency. That's what we are. Very cool. No, sounds yeah. like a, a pretty exciting kind of experience starting, for, you know, starting out just doing your nightlife to, I like how you put it, you shift it from the what to the why, because, you know, that once you start learning what, why we're doing this and what the clients are for, it sounds like, you know, it's a little bit more engaging and you know, get to the right target market. Well, we got to a place where, you know, Many brands started coming to us, uh, especially because we were in L.A. and they were like, our boss told us to throw this elaborate party or, you know, and we would start to ask, you know, what was the objective? And sometimes, you know, for a long time, that gold standard was PR. It was like we want PR for our brand or for our product or for our service. And then things started shifting. People started to realize that they wanted Uh, social and, you know, different influence online, you know, posting content, et cetera. Other people are started to ask us to help 
you know, create better word of mouth buzz. And as we started to understand the why, we realized we should probably start there so we could better engineer you know, the precise vehicle we would use in order to achieve that objective. Maybe it's not always the ultimate rager party or red carpet that is the solution to achieve that objective. And we broadened, we simultaneously broadened our understanding of the marketing, the experiential vehicle, as well as the offering, the portfolio of offerings we could have beyond just a red carpet event. We expanded into trade shows, corporate meetings, corporate hospitality, destination management, you know, traditional, you know, red carpet events, uh, mobile tours and, and things like that. Oh, very cool. So it sounds like you guys kind of do the full gauntlet, a full service agency, anything from a physical side to to tying it into a, a digital piece. Mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah, definitely. Very cool. Yeah. What are some of the, do you have any big ones that you've been working on or ones that you're able to talk about? You know, we work with a really large variety of brands across a very big portfolio of industries. We definitely have our foot in the entertainment business because, you know, we're right here in L.A. However, we expanded our offices to New York about three years ago and do a lot of work in fashion and beauty as well uh, and music there, um, particularly with groups like Pandora or Billboard. And then, you know, simultaneously, we work with, you know, Amazon Studios here in L.A., Anheuser-Busch. We have a tremendous amount of work with Diageo, which owns, you know, a, a, a massive amount of liquor companies and liquor brands. So, you know, we really do pride ourselves on uh, kind of running the gamut of different types of industries. And also that helps inform us and give us better perspective so we can have better ideas. And even working in tech does help us influence how we're going to deal with a music event. Working in the gaming business and you know video games does help us understand you know what we're going to do across a wider entertainment portfolio of brands. So having that background is really exciting for us and very valuable to many of our different clients. Right, and I'm sure every client's different too of of how you have to approach them. You know, from a uh, a tech company to a, a drink type of company. I'm sure with just with that type of experience that you know you you have to figure out exactly what they're looking for and figure out their story. Right, and with what you're doing, experiential marketing. I guess let's talk about you know just general experiential marketing. I mean, obviously, you know, you sounds like you guys are growing. Um, what are you seeing with brands? Are are you seeing a lot more people? A lot more companies trying to get out of the the mess of you know online and trying to get more an experiential or how are you seeing it? Yeah, I think that a couple of things have happened that have supercharged the power of experiential marketing in the past few years, and in no particular order. First and foremost, uh, brands are looking for effective marketing vehicles to align their product with the values of their consumers and their target demographic consumer, right? Mm -hmm. So for a long time, you had things like the television commercial, the radio ad, the print media ad, and, you know, magazine. And those were always an attempt for brands to find their consumer, align with them on a cultural level, and then, you know, try to tell a story that made them ultimately want to act, feel, or do something uh, about a product. You know, it's it's the reason why brands would buy a Super Bowl ad or it's the reason why a fashion brand might buy an ad in Vogue. Right. They would look to, you know, that they know that their demographic is culturally there. 
However, all of those forms of marketing have become substantially less effective, you know, between ad blockers online, the DVR ability to skip television ads, uh, and, you know, the slow and imminent death of print media in a lot of ways. You know, there aren't a lot of avenues anymore for brands to find their demographic and align with them in at least authentically. Uh, we can definitely explode pop-up ads in their face whenever we want, but that's probably not going to move the needle on a cultural level. Experiential simultaneously has experienced a whole lot of tools that actually supercharge its effectiveness. You know, we can now actually capture data through brand experiences. Uh, we can harness that data and understand it and analyze it. And we can do a really uh, an amazing job of quantifying the effectiveness of a brand experience. So first, we can know a lot more about the people attending and, you know, what that uh experience is influencing. And on a secondary level, we can amplify that brand narrative to exponentially larger audiences that may not even be in the same country as the event's uh, location. So, you know, those two, uh, you know, big changes in the market forces behind marketing allow experiential to become a extremely potent form of marketing that simultaneously can be measured and quantified um, and justified uh, probably above a lot of other forms of marketing. So NBE's you know, real goal is to look at how that, that industry is changing and bring in resources and perspectives that will allow us to harness that power and, and utilize it to help our brands propel forward. Right. No, that's great. I mean, I, I like what you, you were saying about, you know, being able to really capture the right data. So you can, you, you're going to learn more because I think people don't understand too. And creating these experiences are on the fly, on the go, but also it's, it's learning how people are going to actually engage with it. But being able to learn through these, you're going to be able to actually grow it faster. So I think that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. One of the notes that I saw here, I know the concept of like an agency versus, you know, doing this in-house. I guess kind of let's talk a little bit around there, you know, kind of like, you know, I mean, agencies obviously have a bad rap, right? They're ex we're expensive, sure. but kind of in your words, how do you uh, take those type of questions of which direction a brand should go? Well, so I have a lot of perspective on this and, you know, my, first and foremost, you know, what we do and what even the concept of quote unquote in-house uh, management of experiential is are just they're just two different products. You know, we are out there investing in enormous amounts of R&D. And I mean, actual physical R&D, like what tools can we do? Can we create or find or embrace that will better, you know, that will better, that will create better experiences for our clients. And simultaneously being uh, out there, being exposed, like NVE being out there, being exposed to a wide variety of brands and their activations and what works and what doesn't work allow us to just have such a broad and diverse perspective on what types of programs are out there and can be created and how to best make them both efficient and effective. You know, I, I'm not saying it's impossible to do it in-house. I'm saying it sure is hard and it really does require you to actually build a functional in-house agency. 
And when people, you know, if they appoint an internal person or even an internal 10 people as the in-house quote unquote agency, you know, I don't know if they're doing all of the extra work that they're do that needs to be done to deliver world-class uh, experiential programming because there's just only so much bandwidth that that number of people can do. Whereas here, I mean, we meet weekly uh, across many different departments to discuss how to make our programs more effective, more streamlined, what new technologies are out there, and then share those that information across our portfolio of clientele to help them all achieve uh, success. So, you know, can it be done in-house? Absolutely. I mean, people can, can they can definitely partially execute in-house, but, you know, what we would bring to the table I think is the proof is 100% in the pudding when you see the just actual work product that comes out of us working from an ideation perspective and an execution perspective. Right. Well, and why not let the experts do it, especially if you're working with all these other brands? You know, it's it, it makes more sense. And I think, too, that one thing that is obviously challenging is, is like I said, it's a lot of moving parts on a physical level. But, you know, it's not cheap. You know, not a startup can usually spend <laughs> you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars on, on a program, but making sure that, you know, it's the right audience and the right type of brand that get out there uh, right. is key. So here's another question is like, kind of how do you build a better experience for someone? You know, there's a lot, experiential marketing is growing, you know, especially you go to a festival or an event, uh, you're competing against other brands. Now let's talk through, you know, some of the ideas of, you know, how are you going to, how are you going to grab someone's attention to, love, love someone's brand and be, be a brand advocate for the future. If you are an agency or brand that has human engagement at your live events, please check out Airfresh Marketing's certified vendor partnership programs, new platform that is helping clients win more business, helping them put on higher quality events and spend a lot less time training and interacting with staff. Please go to www.airfreshmarketing.com backslash partnerships. Well, we look at the idea of creating, you know, breaking through the noise of these very uh, noisy cultural temples in a lot of, in a few different, through a few different prisms. But the primary lens that we think makes an experiential program effective begins with are you authentically culturally aligning with this consumer, with demographic? The old model of experiential and many of the legacy agencies, when they you know, are asked, hey, bring us to South by Southwest or bring us to Coachella, you know, they kind of just Google what is Coachella and start building programs. Right. NVE has a very deep uh, cultural insights uh, process where we understand what that demographic is and we develop a way to synthesize a narrative that will align with them and resonate with them. And then we build the program around that. I think that, you know, going to, you know, to some of these big cultural temples is like showing up at the World Series with, you know, with with an amateur team. And, you know, for us, we very much uh, pride ourselves on the ability to understand and have empathy across a very wide variety of cultural pillars 
whether it's cultural pillars within tech or within sports, within the gaming industry or music and fashion and the entertainment business and helping, you know, potentially even spot trends before they're happening and align brands with the, those, you know, top tier influence, uh, creators. And the issue of that is, is that requires a tremendous amount of trust from our brand partners or our clients. We need them to trust, you know, because they may not be as culturally aware, you know, what's going on on the micro level, uh, in the sneaker business, for example, uh, which has all of these highly captive subcultures that are engaging, you know, with like everything from a new Yeezy to uh, everything, you know, the new Jordans that Nike uh, might release. Right. So we ask our brands to trust us. It's not an easy, it's not an easy endeavor, you know, but we provide them with a lot of insight and analysis behind who their demographic is and how we can better align them within that, that area. And, you know, we hope that they will trust us to do that. I mean, that's how you break through the noise. It's not just showing up and doing what other people are doing or what other people have done. It's understanding who that subculture audience is. Right. Well, and, and learning, yeah, learning who your, that client is and then going deeper. It sounds so key. Let's, yeah. uh, let's go to a, another topic and sorry, I'm just asking a lot of questions here. It's very interesting. Sure. So, you know, let's talk about just culture right now where everything's at. I mean, just this weekend, we had a lot going on. It's October 9th, you know, from the Kavanaugh case to, you know, sports. But, you know, one one particular that I'm thinking around is Nike, is how, how they're taking a risk. You know, they've taken a risk on taking a stand. I don't know. I, I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts through that. Is You know, I, do you think what they did was a good move? Or do you, did you feel like it was, you know, almost kind of like shut down half the country? Or taking their stand. Yeah, I have a very, very specific perspective on branding. And, you know, just talking about branding, I believe that it is critically important that the consumer understands what a brand stands for. Um, if Nike had not taken that stand, I'd love to know how much, what would have been negative for them. I don't know if they're you know, a lot of people, there's been a hundred stories about did Nike write off a big percentage of their consumer or of the country or whatever. I don't believe it's half the country. I don't even know if it's yeah, honestly number, 5% right. of the country. But I think the narrative should be, did Nike embrace 70% of the world, right? Did Nike embrace their consumer in a way that is more positive? And, you know, to be honest, that that's the narrative that, and that's the truth of what did happen. You know, Nike and Adidas and Under Armour and some of these, you know, extraordinary athletic brands, they're battling over a very captive audience of people. I don't think they're as concerned with the person who buys one pair of Nikes a year and, you know, decides to also, you know, fundamentally disagree with the idea that they believe in, you know, free speech or right to expression. They are interested in the people that are watching Colin Kaepernick and, you know, do want to know where Nike stands and do want to know where Adidas stands. And Nike came to the table first and took a stand and said, we want to make sure you know where we stand. And, you know, to bring it kind of home, 
you know, post the Kavanaugh hearings or during the Kavanaugh hearings, I think it was maybe last Monday before his confirmation, Bumble took out a full page in, I believe, New York Times might have been um, Wall Street Journal, but took out a full page, beautiful ad that just says, believe women. And, you know, what does that do to Bumble? Well, it might it might isolate some people that obviously are supporters of a more conservative Supreme Court justice getting nominated. But simultaneously, it most indefinite, it most definitely um, solidified and clarified where they stand on the issue. And they embraced that very important audience that is probably much more loyal and probably as net promoters worth a hell of a lot more money to them than, you know, people that they're isolating. So I think it's not just about I don't think it's about isolating a part portion of your demographic as it, as it, it's important to uh, embrace a big portion of your demographic. So I highly I agree wholeheartedly with those with those messages and the idea that we really want to know where brands stand. And it's because not of the fringe people, but because of the people that are in the middle that, you know, uh, these brands are fighting out over. And, and you can take the Pepsi example that happened last year where they kind of, you know, had that Kendall Jenner commercial where she gave the Pepsi to the policeman in the middle of a riot. And it was very racially insensitive. You knew where they stood, too. Right. And, you know, that that, of course, was the complete opposite of Coca-Cola's messaging, which is very sincerely and authentically about inclusivity. So, you know, you can see when it also can work against you. But in the instance of, of these other people, I don't think it did. Yeah. And I guess I'm, I'm bringing this up, too, because I think it's something that's more accepting in our culture. And I think brands are almost becoming almost a human in a way. I don't feel like five years ago, brands would take a, a hard stand on depending on what it is, but on a hard stand on exactly what they're kind of focusing on. But but if you get away from the noise of, you know, what you believe in, um, you know, I, I think it's wonderful what they're doing um, as a brand. You know, it's it's obviously, you know, okay, well, these these guys are, are doing something that no one is doing. And, you know, like you said, taking a captive audience and the people that aren't buying shoes are the ones that are probably complaining <laughs> well, as well. One big area that we are focused on uh, as well, how that kind of translates for us is we're not at telling brands to be political. We are asking, we're telling brands that they need to be better patrons of culture. Um, that's our phrase here at NVE, which means, you know, if they are going to embrace culture and these, you know, these cultural elements uh, that are that are deeply important to their demographics uh, and to their consumers, then somebody needs to help guide them uh, to ensure how can they be better patrons of that culture. Uh, you know, we we met with several people that we think are doing very interesting stuff in the world uh, it, it, across various industries, across music and fashion and art. Um, we call them provokers here at NBE, um, and we can talk about the difference between a provoker and what uh, some people may deem an influencer, and, and, and there's a big difference. Um, but, you know, one, one universal phrase that we're hearing is, you know, back in the days of Michelangelo and Picasso, you had kings and queens and, 
you know, uh, were, you know, major religions that were the, were artists patrons, right? They were, the aristocracy would support, uh, art in a huge way. You know, they would become these major patrons. Well, we don't have that anymore. What we have now is brands and brands have to act as the patrons and it's in everyone's best interests because, you know, we, the brands want to align more authentically with consumers and simultaneously consumers want their, their provokers of culture to continue to make and create. So, um, you know, NVE spends a lot of time with our clients, uh, you know, helping them become better patrons of culture and navigating that. And we do that by acting uh, as less as an executor and as a counselor. Um, and that's, you know, one of one of our big narratives, which is the difference between, you know, just an executor and and an agency. Um, so we help them a lot with that. Very cool. No, I mean, I'm glad we connected. I'm glad we I've got you on your podcast. I know that we're kind of running out of time. I know we could talk for hours here. Uh, I'd love to meet you sure. in person at some point um, and have you on another podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. And you bet I can talk uh, experiential for, for many hours. And it's really because experiential is intersecting with so many aspects of, you know, uh, and so many vehicles of marketing from influencer marketing to digital marketing to the ad world. And, you know, we have to basically become experts in all these ancillary extensions of the experiential world, which is fine. I love it. But it's why it's becomes it's gone from being, you know, you know, a single book of experiential to encyclopedias and volumes of, of information about how our entire industry will function. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and, and, and especially I think people real, don't realize, too, it's, it's, it's having that experience over lots of brands and over years and years of doing this I and mean, really trying to, to connect your clients with audiences. I think that's uh, it's pretty amazing and it's pretty cool what you've built. Uh, congrats. Well, I appreciate it. We have a whole lot more to do and we're excited. I think we already have a tremendous amount of things mapped out for 2019 including, you know, we, we talk a lot about how we, you know, we think about the measurement and quantification of experiential and us and a professor at Harvard Business School think we've solved the equation uh, mathematically on how to better measure and quantify experiential marketing. Um, so we're coming out with just a lot of great stuff in 2019, uh, you know, that supports, you know, all the aspects of, you know, how experiential influ influences culture, how we can, you know, better harness the power of creators and influencers, how we can measure the results from a data and analytics perspective, how we can integrate interactive technologies into experiences and so much more. No. So, you know, stay tuned for all that. We'll do. Well, we'll we'll have another podcast for that too at some point. Cool. So, well, thanks yeah. man. I appreciate all all your time. Thank you. Absolutely. Take care. If you like what we're doing with Talk Experiential Podcasts, please make sure you five-star it and review it. Also, please share it on Facebook and Twitter or any other social media outlets. Please tell your friends who you think that will get value out of our podcast. Your support will help continue the success of Talk Experiential. Talk Experiential.